It's all on the line on Saturday. Oregon and Washington, the highest ranked matchup in series history. So who wins? We'll talk about that and more. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time for a special Locked On crossover edition. Locked On Ducks and Locked On Huskies in the house. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day if you're watching on YouTube, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. If you have not already, like, comment, subscribe, rate, review, please, and thank you wherever you listen to or watch this show, which today happens to be brought to you by LinkedIn. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. That is why LinkedIn Jobs helps find the right people for your team faster and for free. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college terms and conditions apply. I'm Spencer McLaughlin of Locked On Ducks, joined today by the co-hosts of Locked On Washington Huskies, Roman Tomashoff up there in the top right corner of your screen, Lars Hansen down uh, below. There's no symbolism behind that other than that's how it popped up when we came in here to record the show. So uh, we will roll with it. But gentlemen, the uh, day of the big game, And it is the big game in college football. College game day will be there. You two, I assume, will be uh, down there at the college game day festivities, hopefully making noise at Pat McAfee for being obnoxious and whatnot. So hopefully that all goes well and such. But Roman, I want to start start with you. What is the mood in Seattle surrounding this football game? I, I think everyone's just anxious for it to be game day already. Like I, I know this will be coming out on Friday, and there's still going to be tw- like probably more than 24 hours to kick off when some people are listening to this. And the mood is just let's 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 get there already. Let's go. Let's go. We just want the game to be here. Where I mean, there's there's a lot to be excited about if you're a Husky fan. I know that there's a lot to be excited about if you're a Duck fan as well. And the just the biggest thing is Washington's passing offense is going to be at full strength. And the one of the biggest things that I'm personally looking out for is that wide receiver Jalen McMillan is going to be back after missing the second half of the Michigan State game and then Washington's next two games after that. So there's a lot to be excited about. And of course, there's still some questions defensively, which I know we'll get into over the course of the show. But I, I think that the vibe is just it's anticipation. It's it's buzz that Lars, I, what, what do you think the, the, the biggest game this is the biggest game since 2016 stanford 2016 usc yeah i would say 2016 stanford because that was also when the program changed just completely that was a message sending game i'm not saying the the result of this game will be like that but i'm just saying the lead into it is similar except this one's going to be a little bit more important yeah and and this matchup particular between oregon and washington is Highest ranked in uh, in the history of this matchup. It's the last time it's going to be in the Pac-12. You have two Heisman-capable quarterbacks who are you know, both top five in, in the betting market in that regard right now. You have unbeatens. Well, one thing that you know I've thought about throughout the week, Roman, is you know someone is going to lose this game. This isn't European soccer. We don't play for ties, nor is this the NFL where they now play for ties, which is ridiculous. But anyway, someone's going to lose the football game. No one, however, in my view, because of the way these teams have looked through the first few weeks and the schedule that remains and therefore the opportunities that are going to be afforded to both of them, the the stage is set here from a rivalry standpoint for this game to mean everything to both fan bases. The losing team certainly has an uphill battle, but that team season is not over if, if they're not able to come out with a win. No, that's that's absolutely right because there's still just a really tough schedule ahead for both teams. Spencer, I can't remember what the Ducks' schedule is 
Exactly. But they still do have USC and Utah on the schedule too, right? Yeah, and Washington State and Oregon State. Washington State next week, then at Utah, then uh, Cal, then USC, then ASU, then Oregon State. Not that I've ever talked about it before. (laughs) See, that's why I had to ask. I I, I didn't know if that was was anything that might be in your wheelhouse or not. But yeah, so it, it's still going to be, and that's the thing, right? You you kind of look at some of the strength of schedule remaining, and I know I have uh, Lars and I both have some thoughts about uh, where Oregon's strength of schedule is right now, which we're very excited to talk about. But uh, it's something where if we if we just kind of look ahead, the season is not over for whatever team loses this game. Is it going to be a blow? Yeah, sure. But with the way that the Pac-12 is structured, there's a chance that these teams could meet again in Vegas in December. Yeah, I, I could absolutely see that. And Lars, when you look at what this Washington team has done through the, the first few weeks, they've been very impressive. And, and Roman talked about the strength of schedule, and that's been a, a hot topic, shall we say, amongst fans in uh, the internet sphere on on more than one show and such. And I, I find both their schedules to be pretty darn similar. You've played an okay but not really good uh, Pac-12 team that you dominated. For Oregon, that was Colorado. They did that in a big stage. For Washington, that was Cal. Like, that's not an egregiously bad Cal team. It's also not a great Cal team. And Washington, you know, uh, ran them off the field. And then there were some garbage time points late. Both teams had a road game where they didn't play their best football and the game was closer than it should have been. But they ended up winning the football game. W- when I look at these two teams, I think having them ranked number seven and eight right now I think is kind of the right spot to be and you know depend you might feel differently about who's been more impressive to this point in the season depending on what what part of the country you live in up in the northwest yeah exactly i mean i think we, you're, you hit the nail on the head the schedule is basically the same there's there you can say michigan state eh, but i mean it, there's no true test arizona was the first real test they had so i think there's, there's, there's not really anything to kind of base that off of. Basically, this team, it's almost like you're starting the season today, in, in my view. It's kind of how it looks because you've had a preseason plus an extra game to get ready. Now your season's actually battering because both, as you guys talked about, both teams, the rest of the season is actually tougher than how they got here first of all, in the first place. Yeah, it, it definitely is. And we get to know, you know, who's I – mean, I, I still think both these teams are, are really good in a rematch in – in Las Vegas in the Pac-12 championship game is certainly possible. But, you know, I, I've drawn parallels to the Red River showdown of, of last week, which is a couple of undefeated teams. Their combined ranking is both 15. You had number 12 against number three last week. You have number seven against number eight this week. You have uh, more one Heisman Trophy uh, candidate in Quinn Ewers in last week's game, whereas you have two in this one. Big rivals, big television draw, game days there. Like, there, there are a lot of similarities, and... You know, Texas's season is certainly not over, but Texas's path to the Pac-12 championship game is, is not is not nearly as difficult as it will be for whoever loses this game on Saturday because the Big 12 stinks. They have two ranked teams, and it's Oklahoma and Texas. The Pac-12 is sitting here with seven. Oregon and Washington have to play a lot of them, so it, it's certainly going to be difficult. But let's start getting into the matchups that will kind of define this Roman and you know, I, either team is capable of winning this football game. Uh, let's make that very clear. I don't think anyone is, you know, making a prediction one way or the other and saying, well, the other team, there's just no way they can win. Like, no, this, this, this is a coin flip, go either way game. Feels like it comes down to a possession or two, a moment or two. It certainly did a, a season ago. What, what do you think is the biggest kind of trend or matchup that, that's going to define this football game? So the biggest thing that I'm looking at personally is Oregon's defensive line against Washington's offensive line. 
because we can get into some of the other matchups between those just those two groups, Washington's offense, Oregon's defense. But the one of the reasons I'm looking at, at it, and Spencer, one of the things I wanted to ask you about was Dan Lanning's comments yesterday about Brandon Dorless, which I know we'll, we'll, we'll get a little bit more into. But also just the fact that there are, there are a lot of Oregon fans on Twitter that I've seen that seem to just be just underrating Washington's offensive line a little bit because they gave up a couple of sacks against Arizona. When they were a little bit shorthanded, they didn't have left guard Julius Bulow, who is expected to be back. On Saturday, uh, he's he's trending in that direction. He's coming back from a, a sprained ankle that he suffered also at Michigan State, just like Jalen McMillan. And um, so that's going to be the matchup that I'm watching because there is there is a lot of talent on that Oregon defensive line. Let's, let's make that very clear uh, because there are people who think that Lars and I are very biased and don't think that. Um, but it's, uh, it's, it's something where Washington's offensive line is super talented. They are anchored by two really strong tackles in Troy Fautano and Ryder Rosengarten. And those dudes were excellent last year. They've been excellent again this year. And there have been some changes along the interior. Uh, all, all, Washington is replacing all three interior starters from a year ago. But one guy that Lars and I love to highlight is redshirt freshman center Parker Brailsford because he is just a dude in the middle of that, that offensive line. He had to take over at center after starting the year at right guard when uh, Mateo Mele uh, was lost for the year with an injury. And he moved over to center, which is his more natural position. And he's just been really, really impressive. He's been almost like, dare I say, dominant at the position just this entire year. Yeah. He had that pancake block against Cal, right? Yeah. 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 Yeah, That was, that was a, that that was a heck of a block. Oregon center, not so bad himself, Jackson Powers Johnson, but you mentioned Brandon Dorless. He's an important player for the ducks. We'll talk about why after we talk about LinkedIn jobs, because these days, every new potential hire can feel like a high stakes wager for your small business. You want to be a hundred percent certain you have access to the best qualified candidates available. And that is why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps find the right people for your team faster and for free. Small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college. That's linkedin.com slash locked on college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. All right, so I want to talk about Brandon Dorless because... He wasn't at practice a day earlier this week, and then a question was a question was asked to Dan Lanning, and he got a little spicy with it and whatnot. And look, the, 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 what everyone needs to know is he was back at practice. He's expected to be able to play, and there aren't expected to be any issues there. And he is the standout player along that Oregon defensive line. First team all Pac-12 preseason. I think he was first team all Pac-12 a season ago uh, as well. And he is an NFL caliber defensive lineman. And the, the, the good thing for Oregon this year compared to last year, what I said on yesterday's episode of Locked on Ducks is the biggest key for Oregon is in this game is they have to be able to pressure Michael Penix and their defensive line is much more capable of doing that. They have 18 sacks through their first five games. They had 18 sacks in 13 games in 2022. They, they've taken a big step forward. And I know some people say, well, you know, they've played this team and that team like they played Stanford and Colorado and an FCS team, and they, they played everybody like that a season ago, too. It is a better unit. This is certainly their biggest test on, on the road, but Dorless is certainly the most well-known defensive lineman, and he moves inside and outside, and I think will give uh, Washington's young center a big test in that sense. But I, I, Lars, I love the matchup here of the tackles and Oregon's pass rushers on the edge because Jordan Birch has been good. They have three true freshmen who are all playing and doing so at a really high level. Tatum Tuioti, Mateo Uyunglele, and and Blake Purchase, all of them four or five-star recruits who are impact true freshmen for, for the Ducks. 
I, I think for Washington offensively with the way that they want to throw the ball, you know, on, on plays one, two, three, and four, and then maybe think about running it on the fifth, but then, you know, really just throw it again and then uh, maybe run it on the sixth. But again, it's up, they up usually in the scored by that point. I just want to let you know. That, 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 that's a fair point. At this point in the year, they, they have. I expect that to be slightly tougher on a Saturday for, for sure. But those tackles against the edge players, I, I think that's going to be closer to a wash. I'm going to watch the interior of this of this offensive line the two guard spots against guys like Brandon Dorless or if they move Jordan Birch in there or Casey Rogers has has had a good season I, I think that's kind of the area where you could see a major advantage one way or the other yeah well so the interesting thing about what happened in the Arizona game was Arizona showed Washington a different front a different kind of setup than they had ever that they'd seen in a long time that's what Scott Huff the offensive line coach told me on Tuesday on Wednesday and so I think Oregon's probably going to take some notes from that, having better players than Arizona does in the front line. And I think how they, to your point, how they match up and kind of switch inside and out, I think that's really going to be the key because if you're not getting pressure on the outside, you're still going to want to get pressure. And no matter how you're getting pressure, disrupting Penix is the key for Oregon, right? I mean, just get him off his timing. Because even if you don't get a sack, get the hand up, do something, that's how you're going to throw Penix off his game. And if you're able to get him a couple of incompletions, which we've seen him do, we've seen him be able to get off his game at times. And if Oregon as a better team compared to the other five teams that Washington has played, then it's like, okay, now we're actually getting into a real game versus Penix just able to sit back and do whatever he wants to do with the ball. Yeah, and that's really what we saw in the game last year. He went for over 400 at Autzen Stadium, and the reason is that he wasn't sacked. And not only was he not sacked, he wasn't really ever pressured. You, you know, sack numbers can be a little bit deceiving. Like, Oregon didn't have any sacks in their game against Portland State this season. Why? Because the Vikings didn't throw the ball very much, and when they did, it was a quick passing game, and that's because the defensive line, you know, was just so much better. Portland State knew, well, we can't sit in the pocket and throw the ball, but Washington is going to have those shots down the field. Like, that's such a key component of their offense. It's why I think that line of scrimmage battle, the Oregon D-line against the Washington offensive line, is so crucial because then you get to another fun slate of matchups. And, and there are some individual ones uh, to watch for, for sure, Roman. But I look at this Washington receiving core. For my money, it's the best in the country. Oregon secondary is vastly improved from a season ago. Even with the loss of Christian Gonzalez, they've had guys like Kyrie Jackson, Jalil Florence playing very well, and they're getting better production from, from their safeties. But Oregon has got their biggest test of the season. Like Colorado's a capable passing team. We, we know that. And they were utterly dominant. But that was at home. This is on the road. And that lineup of Colorado receivers didn't have three NFL guys like, like Washington's did. And it's going to be a big test for the Ducks secondary. No, you're, you're absolutely right. And Spencer, that was actually the next thing that I wanted to make sure that I asked you was which which one stands out to you. But first, I'll, I'll go because the, the number one thing to me is Roma Dunze versus Kyrie Jackson, right? Where it's just kind of number one versus number one. PFF did a, a nice little um, compilation of some of Kyrie Jackson's stats from the season where he's got like a 15.7 passer rating allowed, hasn't allowed a ton of yards this, this season, but he also hasn't faced a test like Roma Dunze. Roma Dunze is the leading receiver in the Pac-12, and he's done that for a reason. Uh, he doesn't have the most catches. He's got, he's like tied for sixth or something like that. I believe 36 catches is the number right now, but he has over 600 yards for a reason. He has been just impossible to guard, just like he was last season, where he went over a thousand yards. He was a preseason first team All-American selection for, again, for a reason. He is just so hard to cover. There's a, and I, I just, I love watching him so much because he can do a little bit of everything. 
And the one thing that he's really improved on in his game from last year to this year is something that is going to need to happen against Kyrie Jackson, and that's being physical at the catch point, which is something that wide receivers coach Jamarcus Shepard and Rome have both harped on throughout the spring, throughout the summer, throughout the fall, is they've said he needs to, he's like 6'3", 215, he needs to play like it. And so far this year, I believe that he has. Yeah, he, he's been exceptional, as we all know, probably a first-round pick in the NFL, I, w- I would imagine. Like, I mean, I think the top NFL wide receiver draft prospects are Marvin Harrison, number one, Marvin Harrison, number two, Marvin Harrison, number three, but then Roma Dunze is probably the next guy up off uh, off of people's boards there. Like, Harrison is ridiculous, but Adunze is is really, really good and is not as far behind as I might have made it seem right there. But he- here's the interesting thing. Like, that matchup, I think, is the one that on paper is, is the most fascinating when you're talking about Washington's wide receivers and Oregon secondary because Kyrie Jackson has been the best corner this year, but he hasn't been the only corner. And I I don't know if he's going to be following Odunze around. And that's going to be an interesting chess match for, for offensive coordinator, Washington, Ryan Grubb, and then Oregon's defensive staff, which, you know, whether it's Dan Lanning or co-defense coordinator, Tosh Lupoy or Chris Hampton, who's new to the staff this year. I think that's a really interesting matchup to see, like, do they want Kyrie Jackson to go around? Because he's pl- primarily played as the boundary corner, and Jaleel Florence has been in the field corner spot. And uh, I'm, you know, a Seattle Seahawks fan. I mentioned that yesterday on the show. But when when they had the Legion of Boom, Richard Sherman didn't follow great wide receivers around. He always played, I think, the field side uh, cornerback. Or no, he always played either left or right. It's been so it was, long. It was, that like, I, it was just left. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah I, think he, I think he was primarily the left corner. And Oregon hasn't really moved guys around a lot in terms of the outside corners. Now, we've seen some movement, uh, you know, on from, from the interior. Like, Nico Reed has played inside, and he's played outside. That's a Colorado transfer has done some nice things. And, and we've seen them move the safeties around and kind of, you know, shuffle the shuffle the game pieces there. So, I think you will have moments, right? You, you could have a one-on-one situation in the red zone where it's Kyrie Jackson against Roma Dunze or in the middle of the field. I just don't think that's going to be something we we see all game long but when when it comes up yeah you, you got one you got one really good corner against one exceptional wide receiver and that can always always be fun what one matchup that you know from a team standpoint favors Oregon going into this game Lars is the running game like Washington does not run the football at the same rate that Oregon does. They don't have as much of a commitment to it. I think Oregon's got uh, better backs, though. Dylan Johnson, I have been really, really impressed with at this point in the season, but it's just not really what they do philosophically. There is some rain in the forecast. I don't know how strong it's going to be. We we never know because I'm convinced weathermen are making it up as they go anyway. So what what do you see along that along those lines from Washington and, and the rushing attack and you know what they'd be able to do if you know it was a game that kind of mirrored the Oregon State game from a season ago last year it was big wind if this is big rain how do you feel about Washington's rushing attack I think I I mean I feel fine with it um it's not again to your point it's not better than Oregon's in the sense of Mikey Irving we all know how great he is and it's Reached up, deaf guy, slippery as slippery as a rock, almost. You know, so and and, and Jordan James, you know, very capable back with no winnings, uh, no winnings after the season. But for Washington, the one thing that all their main running backs, Dylan Johnson, Will Nixon, Tybo Rogers, is a freshman who's gotten more increased reps as the season has gone along, is they're all capable pass catchers. And so I think that's kind of the thing for me with Washington's rushing game is it's more of an extension of their passing game, similar to where Bo Nix does a lot of short passes and kind of gets swings. Just get the ball in his space and let your playmakers handle it. I think that's actually Washington's more preferred route from a running perspective. And then if you have the lead, get 
more carries in the second half like they did against Arizona where Dylan Johnson ran the ball for four or five straight carries to end the game just to milk it away. And that I think that's kind of where what Washington wants to do is they'd rather – I mean, Ryan Grubb has even admitted it. It's hard to call a run play because they're so good in the passing game. So I think a lot of their runs are actually more small passes to running backs like Will Nixon and, and things like that. So I think that's more or less what to watch for. Not necessarily – they could probably combine for maybe 120, 130 with three backs, but they're going to have even more of an impact in the passing game as running backs than anything else. We're going to answer a fascinating question here on the show, and all three of us uh, will do it, and we'll we'll have it go uh, in both directions. What on God's green earth am I talking about? You'll just have to stick around and find out. This game, by the way, is down to two and a half in favor of the Huskies, according to our friends over at FanDuel, which is America's number one sports book. Oregon fans listening or watching might want to go and hammer Oregon plus two and a half, thinking, yeah, we're going to go in there and get it done. Washington fans might think, no, Michael Penix is unstoppable with a bow and arrow on his back. Great video by the Washington Social Department, by the way. I thought that was, uh, I thought that was really, really nicely done. It kind of reminded me of like a This Is Sports Center commercial. Like it had, it had, it had that same sort of energy, and I was, I was definitely here for it. If you think that's going to happen, then go bet Washington minus two and a half over at Fanduel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get two hundred dollars in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a five dollar bet. That's two hundred dollars in bonus bets whether you win or lose. If you've been thinking about joining Fanduel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is easy to use. They've got spreads, player props, over unders, and more. Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. Kick off the NFL season. FanDuel official partner of the NFL. So here's the question we're, we're all going to answer. And Roman, I'll start with you and then we'll rotate around and I'll go last because always save the best for last, right? Obviously. Oh, so um, I know that was completely uncalled for. But <laughs> no, I, I, I respect it. <laughs> Lars definitely applauds it. We're going to go in both directions here. We're all going to answer this question before we get to our predictions. Oregon wins the game if, name one thing, Washington wins the game if, Name another thing. That was a mailbag question that uh, came in my direction. So, Roman, I'll start with you. Oregon wins the game if Washington wins the game if. So, I'll start with with Oregon. Oregon wins the game if Washington tackles the way they did in the matchup last year. If they can't stop the run and Bucky Irving, to, to, to Lars's great family guy reference there a minute ago, uh, if Washington cannot tackle Bucky Irving, and he does go greased up deaf guy. It's and runs for 150, 100 yards, whatever you want to call it. Then it's it's not Washington's going to be playing from behind the whole time because that's that's been my biggest question is the run defense. We've seen the pass defense be a little bit better. Uh, Pete Thamel's comments on ESPN the other day were were very indicative of how just kind of I uh, I know Lars and I both feel about both secondaries where there, there's going to be yards given up through the air, but Oregon's advantage on the ground can just milk the clock and do whatever. And that was kind of what kept Arizona in the game a couple of weeks ago was they were just able to, I, I know Lars said on the show, took it like half of one of the quarters. I think it was the first quarter with just one drive of just run the ball over and over and over and over again. And if Washington can't find a way to get off the field, then it's that's, that's going to be a huge problem going forward. But Washington can also win the game just to flip it around there if they can play to their strengths, get a couple of stops on defense, which they've shown to be able to do in clutch moments so far this season, like early on against Arizona, they did set the tempo and got a couple of stops when needed. Uh, when Michael Penix threw a pick against Cal, what was the very first play after that? An interception from Jabbar Muhammad, who's somebody I want to watch in his matchup with Troy Franklin. I think that's going to be a really fun, fun, fun thing to watch. But if Washington can play to their strengths 
and just continue to, if Oregon wants to sit back and just make, and just try to keep everything in front of them, he's going to take that all day long. And if he throws for 360 yards again, like he did against uh, Arizona, it doesn't matter if he throws a touchdown or not, because if they can get down in the red zone, they've shown that they can score basically every time that they're down there. So if Washington can find a way to just kind of control the pass rush and play to their own strengths, then yeah, the, the Huskies will win this game. You think we'll see any more fly sweeps to Jeremy Bernard inside the five? Inside the five? No, but will we see a fly sweep to Jeremy Bernard? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Lars, uh, Oregon wins the game if Washington wins the game if. So in a similar vein, Oregon wins the game if they can force Michael Penix into at least two turnovers. And and that could be – and uh, I'll, say, I'll say Michael Penix and the offense because if you get one interception and you force a fumble and you're, allowed, and you're able to turn that into two touchdowns, that's going to be – basically your difference in the game as you as we kind of open this it's going to be one or two plays it's going to be one or two key drives and that's going to be where it has to happen because if washington doesn't turn the ball over it's just an old-fashioned shootout at that point so i think if, if oregon's able to for, washington has been able to force turnover this season but i think oregon is a little bit more capable of, capable overall of doing that so oregon wins the game if they can force washington into multiple turnovers or at least one but probably two washington wins the game if the running game can do just enough, right? It basically balance out enough to where you have, because if Oregon's going to st- put eight, seven, eight back deep to prevent the, the long ball, Washington has to be able to run the ball. And one thing they have not been able to do consistently is that, I mean, they have capable running backs, but the run blocking on PFF, they were 99th in the country at one point in run blocking and had the best pass blocking offensive line. So that contrast right there, if Oregon's able to stop the run and force Washington just to be passed, a passing offense and play that prevent defense. I think it's going to be a little more nickeling and diming and that limits the amount of drives Washington will have and thus takes away a couple of more drives that they're going to be able to get points on. And it's going to, again, it's going to come down to one or two drives. So I think those two key factors are going to be what tilts the scale one way or the other. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll go now my turn. I'll, I'll start with Washington wins. If Oregon is not able to pressure Michael Penix, I, I just, it doesn't matter how good your secondary is, especially against a receiving core of this caliber that is at the very minimum top two in the country. I think they have two receivers with a first-round NFL grade, McMillan and and Adunze, and Polk is like a second or third-round grade as well. If if you can't pressure Michael Penix, I I don't know how you're going to get stops because the receivers are just too good. They can make contested catches. So if there's no pressure on Michael Penix, then, then Washington wins the game. I think Oregon wins the game if they do about 18 different things right. But one of them, I, I think, is protecting the football because that crowd is going to be on fire. They are going to be absolutely, positively, hair on fire. Like, it's going to be a rowdy, ruckus environment. And if you're Oregon, what are the two things you do to take away the crowd. One of my keys yesterday was get off to a strong start, right? Just like Washington did a season ago. Washington got the ball, went down the field, kind of took the air out of the crowd early, and then went down and scored a touchdown. It was 7 nothing, and then Oregon, you know, came back, had a field goal. But then Oregon's offense struggled to find their footing. The only thing that a crowd loves more than a touchdown is a turnover. So if you go in there and, you know, put the ball on the ground, which Oregon hasn't done this year, or if Bonix throws an interception, he's only done so once this year. That, I think, invigorates the crowd even further. And then you're giving Washington opportunities that they might not otherwise have had. Like, if you don't throw an interception, it might have led to a touchdown, right? And I talked about this yesterday on the show as well, Unlocked on Ducks anyway, about the importance of Oregon not committing penalties 
because they had some moments against Texas Tech that you know worry me because they've gotten better in this sense, but they're also playing their best team of the season by far. So too is Washington, of course. But the penalties that could give Washington an extra chance, like you can't do that. You you, ju- you just can't. When you get that offense off the field, it's got to be done. You're like you're done off the field. But if you give up a third and eleven because of a pass interference or a late hit on Michael Penix or holding down the field, th- those feel like kind of game game shifting moments. And turnovers can be that as well. So I think if Oregon protects the football, they can win. I, I feel good, not great, about their ability to run the football here. And I think Washington wins if Michael Penix is uh, protected because they're just throwing the ball at such a high level. And they can really do it at all three levels as well. I've been impressed with that, the way they can have the short, intermediate, and especially the deep passing game. I think that's been uh, really, really good. Let's go around the horn again. Roman, your prediction for this game on Saturday. So I don't do score predictions because I'm yes, a jinx. Yes, you know. Yeah, no, no, you're doing one this week. Hey, if Roman doesn't have to do one, then I'm not. Then I'm I'm not doing one. But I I think I think we got to do one. I also have one so, written in 750thegame.com, which means I'm going to. So Roman has to. Oh man. Oh. <laughs> uh, don't worry. You have Dave Mahler working as your Jedi mind trick reverse jinx up there. <laughs> hey, Jamarcus Shepard is in, doing in the same exact thing. He called Oregon's pass defense the best in America and the best he's ever seen in 20 years of coaching. So yeah, that's that was, I mean, it's good. Don't get me wrong. Like they're allowing like 150 passing yards a game this season. Well, it's, it's not, a, it's not even number one in the country right now. So I'm going to, I'm just going to leave that, that one where it is. Okay. But uh, I, I, I will, I will preface this with my, my bold prediction that I said yesterday on lockdown Huskies, which is Michael Penix throws for over 400 yards and four touchdowns. That's, that's my bold prediction. For 408 and two touchdowns last year in Eugene. So I think that there he's gonna find a way to do that again because he's just done that basically every game this season. Right. Like Lars, Lars has said it many times where he didn't get over uh 300 or excuse me, over 400 yards until the Arizona game last year. Uh and then of course Arizona is the one who stops him this year, right? So I it's gonna it's gonna be a, a three. I think Washington wins a real close one. I think they win by three. Lars, as I said on Lockdown Huskies, I'm going to stick with that same game prediction, 42-38 Washington. I think it's going to be close. I think it's going to be, you know, I mean, Oregon has what has scored 38 points every single game this season, so that's kind of their bar, right? I believe I saw that stat somewhere, mm-hmm. um, and so I think they're probably going to get there. The key is if they win the game, they get over that. If they lose the game, they don't. So it's a push for them. Yeah, I'm going to get pushed back from Oregon fans for sure. But I mean, this is such a close game and a close matchup between two really good teams who, as we said, similar schedules, similar outcomes, similar feelings, both coming off of a bye. I'm trying to remove my Oregon fandom from this prediction. Is Oregon capable of winning the game? Yeah, of course. Like, I'm not going to be utterly surprised if Oregon wins the game, the only game in the last couple of years, I would have been surprised if they won was Georgia last season. And we all know that that wasn't, wasn't coming close to happening. But what concerns me the most is the way Oregon has started their two road games this year. They were down seven, nothing after getting the ball first against Texas tech, they didn't get past the 50 and then Texas tech went down and, and scored and they were able to come back in that game. And I think that's helpful here having played against a respectable opponent in a hostile environment, but they started slow against Stanford as well. That worries me a lot, and I think this is a go-either-way coin flip game. And in those matters, I I lean towards the home team. 
I, I think Washington wins 34 to 30. Of course, I am not rooting for that. I hope Oregon wins by 40 points, and you guys are sad little puppy dogs after after the game, and I get to smack talk you and whatnot. But that is how I honestly feel about it. And I think I think most of all, it's just going to be an awesome football game. Like the stage is going to be big. The eyeballs are going to be on it. I think the game is awesome. The players are awesome. It's the best these two teams have ever been. We talked earlier in the show about how, you know, neither team has been this good at the same time. It hasn't happened, right? When Washington reascended to a national level of relevance, Oregon fell down and had to build back up. And when Oregon was first coming onto the scene at a national level, Washington was in the process of falling down from their run in the 90s and Oregon was building up. So th- this is kind of like 30 years in the making, honestly. Like, Probably longer, I, if you it, want to be real. Yeah, I mean, fr- frankly, it could be longer to have a game with these sorts of implications, but I, I think it'll be fun. Obviously, I hope the Ducks win, and they are certainly capable of doing so. It, it's just going to be tough because I think Washington is a is a good team at home. If this game were at Autzen Stadium this year, yeah, I'd, I'd be leaning towards the Ducks. I think in these matchups, home teams – have got an advantage and that's played out this year. Home home favorites, here's a good stat for you, are 27 and 1 in the Pac-12 this season. Going into going into this week. The, can you guys name the only Pac-12 team that's lost as a home favorite? Lost as a home favorite or not covered? Cuz I had an lost as a, lost as a home favorite. This is yeah, that's not covering Ooh. the point spread as a home favorite. Cuz I was going to say like USC against Arizona. <laughs> yeah, 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 no. Lost the game outright as a home favorite. Can you name it? I'll give you a hint. It was in the non-conference slate. Oh, it was in the non-conference slate. Uh, that's tough. I, I was going to say tough. Oregon State with that that Utah game, but I can't. That one was on nope. the road, right? Nope, yeah. that was a conference game. That wasn't. That's true. Well, that, see, before before you said that, that was where I, where I was leaning. Yeah, Oregon uh, State also did win that game and covered as as a home favorite. Lars, do you have a guess? It's not Colorado, is it? Nope. The only Pac-12 home favorite to not win their game this year. Stanford was a six and a half point favorite oh. against Sacramento State. See, I, Stanford and favorite just don't really go in this. <laughs> yeah, like I totally just like left them out of my, my mind there. That's why it's a great trivia clue. Roman Tomashoff, Lars Hansen, Locked On Huskies. I'm Spencer McLaughlin of Locked On Ducks. This has been a Locked On crossover episode. Enjoy the football game, everybody. We'll see you then. Appreciate everyone listening. Have a wonderful rest of your day. For my Oregon fans, go Ducks. For Husky fans, well, go Ducks too.